From Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes. We break down the big political news affecting Wisconsin. I'm Mayan Silver, speaking with J.R. Ross, editor of WisPolitics.com. He provides a roundup of what you need to know this midterm election year. Here's our conversation. Hi, J.R. Thanks for chatting with us. Oh, anytime. All right. So I want to start by asking you, last week's big national news was President Joe Biden's executive order on student loan forgiveness. It would cancel $10,000 in debt for those making less than $125,000 a year or $20,000 for people with Pell Grants. He signed this about two months before a major midterm election. Will this have any political implications in Wisconsin? Good question. Um, We're still kind of trying to figure out the impact of that decision. One thing we're noticing is that there is becoming more of a divide between college-educated voters and those who are not. And the college-educated ones are going more toward the Democratic Party. We're seeing shifts in traditional Republican areas like the suburban Milwaukee kind of ring counties. We're seeing numbers change there. One of the questions people have is, is this going to exacerbate that shift? Because you're going to see a concerted message from Republicans of, You have Democrats who are pushing these loans off of the backs of those who racked them up and onto the backs of those who didn't go to college or who paid off their loans already, right? So you're going to see that message quite a bit. So it's still kind of early in this kind of process to see how it's going to impact things, but you're definitely going to see some messaging from Republicans on it. And you've also said that if the midterm election is a referendum on Biden, that would impact uh, Democratic Governor Tony Evers and vice versa with Trump and Michaels. What, what do you think about that and this, and this news? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, well, there are also all these other things that are kind of swirling right now. We've seen a string of special elections in places like Minnesota, now New York, where Democrats have fared better than expected. It has led to a number of stories nationally saying, hey, maybe the environment's better for Democrats. Maybe it'll be kind of neutral or, or even look like 2020. Because if the electorate looks like 2020 in this fall, Dems have a fighting chance to hold on to the U.S. Senate, maybe even kind of the House. It would be a, a neutral environment. We expected going into 2022 to see a somewhat a pro-Republican environment because tradition tells us that the party in power in the White House struggles, right? Well, what we've been seeing are things like the abortion decision from the Supreme Court this summer. That's driving things. But in talking to people, one thing that's come across in my conversations is the idea that abortion as an issue for voters is probably going to play more in those suburban areas. We're talking about, you know, the places really in play this fall. In suburban areas where you have those college-educated voters, you you have college-educated suburban female voters who are saying, you know, I was a big fan of the Republican Party under Donald Trump. He turned me off because of a number of things. I wasn't really happy with how he did some things. Republicans want to win those voters back, talking about things like inflation and crime. This is an issue that is going to impact that dynamic. You know, it's still to be determined, but you have to add all these issues together and see what's going on. Oh, by the way, as I've been saying for a long time, tell me how much gas costs November 1st, and I'll tell you who's going to be favored of the polls that fall because if it's five bucks a gallon again, that's bad for Democrats. If it's three bucks a gallon, that's a pretty decent thing for them. It gives them a better shot, you know, just because it's it means inflation's less of an issue for voters if you're seeing it more on that end of the spectrum versus five bucks a gallon, which becomes a major issue for voters. 
Well, and something else that could be reflected in the in the Wisconsin governor's race, conservative candidate Tim Michaels, who's running against Evers, was endorsed by former President Donald Trump and beat former Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clayfish. But both candidates got more than 40 percent of the vote. Are you seeing evidence that the Republican Party is unifying behind Michaels? And is it problematic that Michaels and Clayfish haven't had a joint appearance yet? Well, you know, you see those joint appearances and they're nice. It's a nice photo op. It's a nice news conference. I don't know if it really is going to make or break the campaign. What I'm wondering more about is how is Michaels going to pay for this campaign, right? Tim Michaels put about $12 million of his own money in the primary. That is a lot of money. But now he's trying to raise money from others to help cover the cost of the general election. And there is a bit of a skepticism from donors of, okay, wait a second, you're, you're pretty wealthy, you put all that money in, why should I give money to somebody who's got that kind of cash if you could put it in yourself? Now, the other challenge for Michaels is winning over the Clayfish donors, right? I mean, they were people who were all in for Becca Clayfish, wrote big checks for her right up until the primary, and now they have this very narrow window to kind of get over the preferred candidate losing. How do you build that relationship with donors to get them on board to say, okay, I know I wrote $20,000 to Rebecca Clayfish, but I'm doing the same now for you. That's, that's a big ask. One of the challenges is there's a narrow window now to get to November for the election. You don't have much time. Usually, as a candidate, you can build a relationship with donors or you build that relationship over a long period of time before you make big asks. Michaels doesn't have that long of a window to make those asks of candidates. Now, you know the key really is going to be the last three four weeks of the race. It is you know late August. We are seeing signs of Michael's getting outspent on TV right now, but it's still early. It can help define him now, but maybe not going to make or break him. It's really, when do people start tuning in? You know, traditionally, people are in Wisconsin enjoying their summers because we all know that we don't get a lot of good weather um, starting in October, right? It gets cold, so you enjoy being outside, not watch as much TV as you would normally. So what I'm getting at is really, it's going to really matter come... October, how much people are paying attention to TV ads, but it is kind of a not a great thing for Michaels now to be struggling to get his message out or not getting as loud a message as Evers is and his backers because Michaels is still somewhat unknown. The Marquette poll we saw last week, I think a third of voters didn't have an opinion of Tim Michaels. That's an opportunity for Evers and his backers to try and define him. And you're seeing these these ads run from the governor and those supporting him that, you know, Tim Michaels is this radical conservative. He's out of touch, you know, hitting him on abortion, you're just going to see that effort to try and start shaping public opinion of Michaels because he's not as well known as Tony Evers is. Well, on that topic of Michaels and, and funding, he also said during the primary that he would cap donations at $500 from any individual because he is not going to be influenced by anyone in this race. He also said he wouldn't take PAC or its political action committee donations. Has that changed? And if so, is that arguably misleading voters? Well, what Michaels did was right after the primary, he said he would now start taking individual donations up to $20,000 but still wasn't going to take PAC contributions or lobbyist donations. Well, Roger Roth, who's a state senator from Appleton, he's now on the ticket with Michaels. Remember Wisconsin, candidates for governor, lieutenant governor, run separately in the primaries, and then they're on the ticket together uh, for the fall election. Roth had a fundraiser last week in Madison. Uh, He opened to donations from PACs and others. So that's a way to, critics say, to get around Tim Michaels saying he's not taking money from PACs or lobbyists because 
Roth can take those donations. And why it's a path around that self-imposed ban Michaels talks about is under state law in Wisconsin, candidates for governor, lieutenant governor from the same party can make unlimited transfers back and forth on their campaign. So anything Roth raises, Michaels could use. So it's a way for the Michaels operation, you know, lump Roth in there with them, right? To get around that, to ask for bigger donations and money from lobbyists. So do you think that's that's misleading voters? You know, we'll see. We'll see how voters feel about it. Um, I don't know. Sometimes with, with money, like people will complain or say, well, let so-and-so raised so much or got from these kind of donors. I don't know if it matters as much how you raise it as how you spend it, right? Is it the message about that or is the message you see on the air? Because like, for example, we saw Michaels this past week go to Kenosha for the anniversary of those violent protests, really hammer on that law and order theme. Is that going to matter more than, you know, pledges about how they're going to raise their money? I don't know. You're listening to J.R. Ross of WISPolitics.com speaking with me, WUWM's Ma'ayan Silver. That leads right into the uh, next question I have for you. The anniversary of the Kenosha unrest was last week after the police shooting of Jacob Blake. It was a big issue for Republicans last week. But on that day, Governor Tony Evers proposed a $600 million annual tax cut. Republican legislative leaders rejected that as a vote-buying ploy and a diversion of attention from Kenosha. What's your take on this and its political implications? Well, uh, for Michaels, they're obviously seeing stuff in their polling that says Kenosha is an issue, that law and order is an issue. I don't know if Kenosha itself is going to be resonating with people across Wisconsin come November. Obviously, we all saw the images of those protests in 2020, uh, the car lot that was burning, all that kind of stuff. It was, you know, people were gripped by it. I don't know if it makes as much of an impact for people two years later outside of Kenosha. Now, if you're in Kenosha, that's a different story. Go back to 2018, then Governor Scott Walker nixed a proposed casino in Kenosha County. He didn't win Kenosha County in 2018. There was a thought among insiders that part of that was because they had not forgotten that he had killed that proposal. Fast forward to now, there's a thought among insiders that how Tony Evers handled Kenosha is still going to stick in the craw of some Kenosha voters. That's going to matter. So we'll see how that goes. For Evers with the tax stuff, he wants to reinforce to people, look, the state's in good shape. So this tax cut's not going anywhere, right? Republicans have rejected it outright. They rejected one he proposed back in January. They don't want to give him another win on taxes because it drives Republicans crazy that Tony Evers have run ads taking credit for the tax cuts they put in the budget. Now, even some Republicans I talked to will tell you, look, he signed them. He gets to do this, but it, it drives him crazy still, right? He's a tax cutter in his ads. They don't like that. So they're not going to give another win before the election this fall. But for Evers, it is an opportunity to remind voters of, hey, I cut, I signed these tax cuts. I want to do more. And oh, by the way, we have a state budget that is flush with cash because we've got all these good things going on in Wisconsin. You know, it's a reason to say to voters, I've done good things. You should keep me in office. So checking in on the other big midterm race, that's the U.S. Senate race. There's a Democratic Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes against incumbent Republican U.S. Senator Ron Johnson. Johnson isn't backing down from statements that he wants to make funding Social Security and Medicare part of the discretionary budget process. What would that mean? And are statements like these problematic for Johnson? So basically what it means is that you would have to have an annual discussion about how you're going to fund those programs. 
Right now, they are part of the mandatory budget. There's, they get increases every year. Johnson argues that a way to save them because there are all kinds of questions about their financial security is to have that discussion, look for ways to shore them up. That's not going to help them. You know, we've already seen ads coming out, hitting on that, that issue. The thing about Ron Johnson is, and talking to people about this issue in the recent weeks, they're expecting a change. He, in his own mind, speaks the truth or what he believes is the truth. He's going to keep hammering on those issues the way he wants to talk about them. So the key for him is to define Mandela Barnes. Go back to Marquette poll from a couple weeks ago. Uh, 41% of voters did not have an opinion of Mandela Barnes, even though he was up on Johnson, right? That's an issue that Republicans can use because Johnson is way more defined than he was six years ago when he beat Russ Feingold. He is upside down with voters. More voters have a negative view of him than a positive one, and it's been stuck that way for a while. But when you're an incumbent who has numbers like that, your opportunity to win is to tear down the opponent. And with Mandela Barnes being not that well-known, the opportunity is there to do that. And you're seeing it happen already. You're seeing national groups running ads, hitting Barnes, linking him to the so-called squad in Congress, trying to find him as this you know, radical who's dangerous on crime and those kinds of things is all part of an effort to define Mandela Barnes as an unappealing option. In the end, as I've kind of joked before, it gets down to November, you're going to wonder, well, who do I hate the least? And that might be the person you vote for. And uh, what is Barnes doing to counter that? He put out a new ad uh, last week that he's, you know, his opponent's going to throw all these things at him. He's up for it. He's trying to prevent the, pre- present this positive message. It's time to do something different, some different people to Washington. You know, some of the attacks on Mandela are going to be about things like being late on his uh, taxes in 2018. He's trying to turn that around and say, look, I'm just like you. I've struggled. I know what it means to be from a middle-class background and have to worry about, you know, covering your bills. I've felt your pain kind of thing and make it more of a positive than a negative. All right. So finally, I'd like to ask you about some of the developments about voting in the state. Last week, you said that Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, who fired Special Investigator Michael Gableman from the GOP 2020 election probe, was speaking with lawyers about what to do with subpoenas in the probe. They had subpoenaed Wisconsin Election Commissioner Megan Wolf and various mayors. What's the latest on that probe, either on that front or in litigation around it? So we had the uh, State Department of Justice filed uh, documents in both the case in Dane County, which is where Attorney General Josh Call challenged Gablin's ability to force Megan Wolf, the Elections Commission Administrator, to testify in private rather than for a public committee, filed something there. And in Waukesha County, where Gablin sought to jail the mayors of Madison, Green Bay, and some other local officials, unless they comply with his subpoenas. They argued in those filings that there's no point in going forward because there's no more Gableman. There's no, there's no office of special counsel or no person there to enforce the subpoenas. Therefore, they should be, this thing should be shut down. So we have some, uh, in Waukesha County, we have a hearing this week coming up to start talking about how that play, case is going to play out. In Dane County, we have a briefing schedule through this fall. We'll see how that's going to play out. But there's no real end in sight for the legal bills we're going to see racked up for taxpayers from this investigation because there's still a fight over how to move forward, even though the cost of probe itself is pretty much over because there's no more investigation going on. Well, thanks for the insights, JR, and uh, thanks for joining me on Capital Notes. Anytime.
That was J.R. Ross of WISPolitics.com speaking with me, WUWM's Ma'ayan Silver. Listen for our segments every Monday with an extended segment on Lake Effect, and check out the Capital Notes podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.